Rules to Reality is a podcast that highlights how regulation shapes or fails to shape our daily lives. I'm recording this from the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people. First Nations people have been custodians of this land for tens of thousands of years. Colonisation is a process that law and regulation have been deeply complicit in. Taking land, sea, children and lives. I want to acknowledge that despite that, 60,000 years of wisdom continues and so too does non-Aboriginal Australia's obligations to take a daily personal responsibility to support reconciliation through truth and justice. Welcome back to the podcast after I've been snowed under the last couple of weeks. A cracker today with uh, Colette Einfield, an expert in public policy and in particular nudge policy. Colette is days away from a finished PhD that examines how knowledge is used in nudge and behavioural insights. Nudge theory or policy, if you haven't heard of it before, is a concept from behavioural economics, political theory and the broader behavioural sciences and it's premised on the belief that we can harness human cognitive processes and biases to shape a group or individual's behaviour for public policy purposes. It's become a big deal in public policy, but so is co-design. The idea that, uh, that we can use design methodologies to develop policies, services and systems with the people who are most affected by those policies, services and systems. The reason I reached out to Colette is that they have co-authored a very influential paper with uh, Emma Blomkamp uh, looking at the relationship between these ideas of nudge and co-design. Do they work together or against one another? Let's find out. Okay. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, um, Colette, as you know, the, the first question in, uh, in this podcast is, is why does regulation matter to you and to your community? Uh, yeah, and I think as I was just saying, Simon, I think this is a really, this one stumped me a little bit because I think of the work I do more in policy than in regulation. Um, and I know we've talked previously a little bit about how they overlap and you gave a really good definition of regulation a little while ago. Um, and I'll let you jump in here, which was regulation is about how government's shaping behaviour or how mm. it tries to influence all different kinds of behaviour. I can't remember precisely yeah. what it was. Um, yeah, so, and, um, and and that was interesting because the paper that Emma and I have written on uh, nudge and co-design really gets to that idea about what is government's role in changing behaviour. And I think that's where it kind of fits in quite nicely. So um, I study... Um, behavioural insights and nudging in public policy. Um, I've just finished my thesis and it looks more around what knowledge and evidence is and how that's used in behavioural insights and nudging. But the paper we're talking about today is looking at these kind of two different approaches to policy design. Um, and one is nudge, which is what I talk about, and co-design, which was my co-author and a blog cab, who unfortunately can't be here, but we'll, we'll, we'll represent anyway. Um, and looking at how these have kind of um, emerged in a environment and a policy environment that's interested in how we can change behaviour. And I think that's where it kind of has sort of overlapped for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, re reflecting on 
um, you know, the way that you talk about um, nudge and co-design there, or, or nudge in, in particular. Um, yeah, it's a, you know, you talk about the role the government has in shaping our behaviour. And when we talk about regulation, we often, uh, we often think about regulation as just being about law. Um, but there's actually, it's when you, when you think of regulation as being guiding um, human or citizen behaviour towards, a, you know, a particular outcome that's valuable to the community, then like it makes a lot of sense that co-design and nudge are on the table as really important regulatory kind of tools, but all frameworks. But, but as you indicated in your, your recent article with Emma, you highlighted, um, well, you firstly spoke about those two different approaches, co-design and, and nudge, two kind of theories of, of public policy, you might say. But you spoke about the tensions between those, those theories as well, between nudge and co-design. Could you... Could you tell us first a bit about what those theories mean? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll start with nudge because that's um, what I've been studying. So uh, nudges are an approach to um, policy making and um, it draws on theories from psychology and behavioural um, economics and argues that um, because of the way we think, um, we sometimes have these kind of biases and heuristics in the way we think, which lead us to sometimes making decisions that are less than optimal. So we can be irrational in the decisions and the behaviour that we do. Um, and so Nudge uh, was a book um, released in 2008 by Richard Thaler, who has behavioural economics guy. He's this one that I prize for economics. So people might have known him and Cass Sunstein. And um, they argue that governments should really recognise the way that people really think um, and then use this in policy making. So they talk about choice architecture. Um, a really good example is defaults. If um, policymakers want to influence decisions and the way people are acting, they make a particular decision, um, such as enrolling in super a default option. Um, uh, and then this sort of changes people's behaviour. Mm. And the argument, and there's a whole lot of ethics around here that I've talked about previously, is that governments can therefore help people sort of behave in a healthier way to make them better off and wealthier and so on. Yeah. Um, so that's nudge. Um, I think co-design is a process. Um, it's commonly understood in a series of stages um, and it's, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, there's some overlap here with nudging about better understanding, better reflecting human behaviour. It very much emphasises local um, experiences and experiential knowledge and lived experiences and bringing those in to better understand a process. Um, and it's seen as like a, a series of um, steps or stages um, and um, it's kind of to develop an idea and then test the idea and it's this sort of iterative process um, as you go through. Mm. Um, yeah, so they're the kind of two approaches and they've both emerged, if you want me to go on and talk about this a little bit, about in this kind of um, area of innovation. So they're kind of associated with policy labs. Um, they both have sort of, they've both appeared in policy labs um, in the context of innovation, particularly in uh, Cameron's government in the UK um, and are seen as ways of better reflecting real human behaviour. So if we talk about nudges, we see that in the way that people are re reflecting policies and the way people are really thinking and the way they really make decisions they don't always stop and consciously reflect on every decision but they're shaped by the way the decision is presented to us so in that respect um, and then with co-design thinking more about the lived experience of people are bringing that into um, in um, shaping policy and how people are really behaving what are the real issues that need to be addressed and so on yeah and I, and I imagine 
part of the the part uh, you, you, part of the part i mean there it's just a gaff reel my um uh, my <laughs> podcast but i imagine one of the the elements of nudge that are in the name itself is that it's a more subtle form of um, guiding behavior than regulating through sanctions or laws right so you're um, mm. trying to change that choice architecture um, yes, yes. for someone would, would that be how, how you'd yeah. understand it yeah absolutely and so um, if you think about the context in which it really became popular especially again if you refer so um, the the uh, behavioural insights team was um, established by the Cameron government in the UK in um, 2010. Um, it's seen as sort of the first really big established team. And if you think about the, the, the policy environment in which that arose, it was one of austerity, less red tape. So this kind of approach was seen as a way of we're going to gently encourage people to do certain things we're not going to be coming in telling people what to do. So, you know, we're giving freedom of choice, but it's not regulation, right? So it's almost seen as an alternative light kind of approach to regulation. And again, large debates have existed about whether or not that might be the case, but you can kind of see that relation when you think about the context in which it's emerged. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, and, and you, you've kind of touched on the two different theories there and you can kind of see it, um, you know, different lineage um, and people might notice some of the different elements of that, but, but there are tensions, um, you know, if, if, if these two uh, groups were in a room, they might be standing on other sides of the room. So what, what, what are the, what are the tensions between the, the co-design gang and, and the, uh, and the nudge gang? And the nudge, yeah. Um, a really good question and um, a focus of many robust conversations between Emma and I in writing this paper. Um, so, yeah, she's obviously the co-design guru, if you like. Uh, that's her expertise and I was um, nudge. And it's, it's interesting if we think about, like taking a step back, how this paper came about is we met at a um, conference actually in Singapore and we sort of had got to talking and we noticed, oh, you know, we're hearing, like I'm hearing about co-design and she's hearing about nudges. And when we got to talk, we're like, oh, there's, there's some, some overlaps and when they're arising, but there's also these tensions and how can they be brought together seemingly so easily in the same sort of, sort of uh, being dropped in the same sentences, if you like, and, and under the same umbrella projects when we're noticing these huge differences. So um, some of those um, tensions that you talk about, if we think about... Um, the knowledge and expertise that's needed. So co-design draws on lived experience. It's very much focused on drawing in um, the experiences of policy, um, say service users, for example, and the lived experiences of people. Um, and that's an important source of knowledge in designing and shaping um, projects. Uh, however, Nudge has been very heavily criticised for being sort of technocratic um, and being expert-led. It is the experts or the choice architects um, who are just sort of choosing what is the best decision for people. Um, and so you can see immediately there's this kind of tension there in, in expertise. And I guess we in the paper really sort of question, can they be sort of brought together um, to cover up these tensions? I mean, some of the other sort of tensions that we talk about is um, the use of evidence. So again, in co-design, you're thinking about lived experience, um, qualitative research, interpretive methodologies, uh, whereas um, nudging has been associated with randomised control trials. Um, so that's why you have these sort of like to test a nudge, 
most people will know what a randomized control trial is, um, but really emphasizing this as an important, if not the sort of standard, like that kind of gold standard, if you like, for evidence and, and privileging really large self quantitative data. So again, you kind of see a, a, a difference there, whether or not they can be brought together or not um, has been a challenge. And I think for your podcast, what's interesting is, is that role, of what's the state citizen relationship there? Like who is the expert in people's lives? Is it the state who asks, they sort of talk about steering, should they be guiding and deciding what are the best decisions for people to be making and then encourage them to make that decision? Um, or should that be for citizens? Like where does that kind of power, but where does that lie? And how do you, and so, so in a, in a nudge account, obviously that's, um, we elect people. Well, if I take that logic, we elect yes, people yes. to be trustees and, and to, um, to make those decisions in our best interests and they can steer us to the right outcome, but more of a co-design kind of a relationship between the state and citizen is, um, maybe a much tighter feedback loop and much more equal kind of relationship is, yeah, or yeah. would you characterize it differently to that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a really interesting question there around democracy and nudge, you know, you elect um, people to make decisions for you. Do you then suggest that actually that's okay for them to do it because it's a representative democracy and so on. But then you sort of think about all the challenges with representative democracies, um, marginalised groups, voices that aren't heard in policymaking, um, is it appropriate for people in the public service to be making those decisions? And we also need to think about what kind of, where's the level of democratic accountability? Um, because you have people maybe in behavioural insights teams choosing what are the best decisions without necessarily that kind of, I think there's a, a, um, a a silence or a lack of information so far about how those decisions are made. Um, yeah. so, so that's really interesting. Whereas in co-design, the emphasis on, you know, bringing in those more marginalised sort of voices, um, silence voices. But having said that, I think that's, um, there's still problems there. You know, I, I, I guess think... I'll, I'll take the role of Emma. I'm a, I'm a co-design hack. So um, let, let, that's good. Let's unpack, yeah. um, be, be my critical interlocutor. Um, yeah. what, what do you see as some of the limitations or challenges of, of co-design? co-design. Um, so I think for me, I have a healthy scepticism. I've worked in applied research for a long time and I see a lot of co-designers, I call it like market research with sticky notes, right? Like it's the exact same stuff that we used to do <laughs> when yeah. I was working in, you know, social research, in market research, it's just kind of being relabeled. And so it's just in this way reproducing many of those power imbalances because it's got a new name that seems, sorry, I'm slightly ranty here, but <laughs> seems to be um, more equal, but it's still reproducing those power imbalances. And I think that's one of the real challenges I had at, you know, to what extent, in co-design to the participants, you know, um, really get a say in the way things are moving. Like, you know, this is, they have a budget and a project and I don't know to what extent people could come and say, well, actually you see this is the problem. We're telling you this is the problem. What happens there, right? And and so that's, I think, one of the real challenges as well. Yeah, it's an interesting. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and, and would, I, I think it would almost be fair to say, um, I won't speak for, for Emma, but a lot of co-designers would, would, would agree or people yeah. who consider themselves to, to staying true to the, um, to the ideology or framework would, would, um, would have the same view that um, there's a whole range of people who purport to be co-designers yeah. um, who, uh, yeah, who 
apply that to kind of reinforce the same power relations like you talk about yeah. um it's the in thing at the moment yeah. um and so i mean i certainly know in the mental health space i've got my lived experience of mental health issues and i talk from that perspective in in a lot of the work that i do that um excuse my um uh my uh air freshener in the background um <laughs> uh, the um the that a lot of um things are said to be co-designed but the initial framing of the problem like you talk about is just wrong you know and so um uh, often uh, in one of the earlier episodes um uh, professor fiona haynes spoke about fields of struggle kind of that mm-hmm. you you define a a field of contest um and um, government usually determine who are the actors within that particular framework that get to be on that field of struggle um, about what the problem is and what the regulatory problem is that you're trying to solve. Um, but sometimes the people who are challenging the existing frame um, get pushed out of that um, field of struggle. So they have to uh, go make their own table or make their own field to, to work in because this one's not working for them. I don't know what, what that raises for you. Um in the context of co-design or nudge. Yeah, no, interesting. So I, I used to work with Fiona at um Small World. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've written a couple of papers with her. She's fantastic. Um so yeah, so I, I know and we used to um I don't know to what extent you want to include this in the podcast or not, but we we worked in the area of um coal seam grass, coal seam gas. Yeah. And I don't know if that's crack, crack about social license. Talk about crack off, you know? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And social license to operate. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, that kind of probably informs a little bit of what I'm thinking about as well, because who are the people? And I've worked a lot in um, prior to, again, in my applied research, um, like stakeholder engagement and, and the people that are coming to the, who are invited to the table, you know, are, are only those people, like who's doing the inviting? Right. Like when you talk about, I know you talk about who does the regulating, who's doing the inviting. And so th- yeah. there's that in there as well. And so I think, and I th- I don't think, um, I, I think for me and, and Emma, when we talk about it in the paper is it's just really an acknowledgement of those shortcomings and the same with nudge. I think it's when things are sort of blindly put together as answers to each other without an acknowledgement of what are, what, what, where's our hierarchy of expertise? Where's our hierarchy of evidence in here? What, where are we willing to be flexible or open that field of struggle or not? Um, is this really actually more, um, you know, a, an appropriate way of, of making policy or not? And, and, and it's really about asking those questions when you're kind of choosing these approaches. Yeah, and, and I, you're sort of touching on there. So, you know, sometimes these things are brought together as, as to, to be the answer to the shortcomings of the other. So, yeah. I mean... Um, you indicated that this kind of uncritical application or, or, or merging of one with the other. Um, do you think that there are um, uh, circumstances or ways in which those two theories or frameworks can be brought together? For, for example, by um, you know um, placing sequencing them, you know, one above the other or one before the other. I don't know. Is, is have you in where did you arrive at in your article or in your thinking? Um, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And I think I have to say, I, I, um, the more I think about this, the more people I talk to. And, um, I was really fortunate, the, fortunate, um, when we released the paper, it's really generated quite a discussion in social media. I have actually since had further conversations with 
practitioners about their challenges and trying to bring it together. So my thinking is constantly both evolving and kind of vacillating on this one um, about whether or not and how they can be brought together. Um, and so I think on the one hand saying, well, we need to be bringing these together with our eyes wide open is obviously a first start, but it also, it's kind of a little bit sort of simple, you know, like it's, 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 what does that mean actually? And can you, um, for example, um, think about, and we use a hypothetical example in the paper to walk through some of these challenges um, about, you know, what if we decided on co-designing a nudge? And this is something that that's, um, people try to do. Um, should we, what if we, um, I'm just trying to think of an example. If we um, brought together people with lived experience of a particular issue um, and said, right, well, we're going to design a nudge um, on this. Um, and, and that kind of happens and, and you agree on, well, okay, yeah, we think nudge is the best way forward and then you implement the nudge and that kind of works. But then what if those people in the co-design group decide actually we don't want to do a nudge or actually we want to reframe the problem. So it's kind of getting back to those issues again. And it, it, when I was thinking about this question before, I was thinking about, um, and when I was talking to this practitioner as well, it's like, is it, does it come down to the type of problem? Because so there might be some types of problems that people don't, like if I'm renewing my driver's license, do I really want to co-design the process or do I just want to make this process as really simple and effective as possible? Yeah. I don't know. So yeah. perhaps it's the kind of problem where there are going to be other problems um, in terms of um, uh, perhaps, you know, the areas of um, say mental health that you were talking about earlier or mm. service users where actually it's important to get that kind of lived experience. Mm. But then there might be other situations, say when you're in a driver's license, there might be problems there for marginalised communities we don't even know about. Exactly. And certainly bringing in those lived experiences in that we get that perspective and we, we, we understand what some of those problems might be for people who are trying to renew their driver's license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, is a, there is a classic chicken or egg kind of challenge there. Um, yeah. I guess, I mean, maybe one way is to, if you arrive at a particular point without codes on, have some feedback mechanisms to monitor and evaluate how those policies have, have yeah. gone. Yeah, sorry, you go. Yeah. No, no, it's really interesting. And I mean, the other one we talk about, so we, we also wrote um, a, a blog on the paper, um, and I don't know if you can link to that, your um, podcast, just because it has some really good examples. And in there we talk about COVID and the COVID pandemic and um, nudges have been heavily relied on um, during pandemic to encourage things like social distancing and hand washing and so on. Um, and there's an element in there about is it possible to use nudging in that kind of immediate response? And then longer term, when we think about over the long term, what can we do to um, try and whether it's embed some of these issues, these practices, uh, what is our long-term response to, to COVID um, using co-design in that process? Yeah, interesting because it, it highlights possibly, I'm keen to get your thoughts, but highlights that nudge when I think of nudge, and I've, and this could just be genuinely just be my biases um, playing out here. <laughs> when I think of nudge, I think of a white middle-aged guy, like as a as a, an embodiment of it. And I just wonder whether the way in that the the way in which they think cognitive processes go and people's choice environment is from a white perspective, and that might just say something about the generalizability of the models that they use in nudge and so it's not necessarily that well I'm not saying this this is not necessarily my view but 
it's not necessarily that nudge itself is wrong, but that they're just doing it white and male version of of nudge. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so there's this in the academic kind of psychology uh, behavioral economics that show there's this thing called the weird debate I don't know if you've heard yeah okay so this is I think a perfect example of the the biases and the heuristics that they're talking about in nudging are often tested in labs with university educated predominantly white um it's it's, it's western educated industrialized rich and developed and then these um biases and heuristics that they've tested are then applied to other populations, other countries, and the kind of differences in cultural and social norms aren't always sort of considered, for example. Um, and so I think that's what you're, I, I think that's what you're referring to as well. And I think it's right, because sitting underneath all this is unjust effective, right? Like, you know, is, 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 does the approach work? Are we spending, and we, the government, spending a lot of money on an approach that only has sort of marginal effectiveness rather than using sort of typical things and, and again so there's a kind of the ethics of using it and then there's the effectiveness of using it as well yeah absolutely and i imagine when i hear you talk about that a lot of that that some some of the same tensions around nudge remind me of the impending issues of the use of ai that there can mm-hmm. kind of be um assumptions and norms built into it um that 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 disadvantage marginalized communities absolutely and i think it's really interesting there is um uh about that how it's black boxed Mm. so because of the expertise needed in ai it's very difficult to always see and understand it and question it and and have that kind of you know real transparency and i think there are elements there with um nudging as well about who is who is nudging um who's making those decisions and so on and the transparency as well yeah absolutely Colette. Um, so we've taken a, a, a good journey here um, in the absence of our comrade, Emma, um, from, <laughs> from, you know, I guess, why does regulation and nudge and, and co-design matter to you and your community? Um, well, I mean, what do those two theories mean? Um, what's the role of the state and citizen um, uh, playing out in, in those theories? Then what are the tensions? Um, can Are those tensions... Um, so great that they can't um, come together. I think we've uh, the question is 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 still open, um, and I think that's good. Um, uh, the last question that we have uh, for everyone is: uh, What's one thing that you want people, um, potential co-designers, nudgers, nudgees, to go away and do uh, after hearing you today? Yeah. Again, this question. Um... You know, flippantly, I'd say read our blog, right? <laughs> like, Absolutely. just have a look at it. You know, um, like even just because I think it's it's just like a nice little snapshot of what we're talking about. Um, so I do that. I also think it's from a policy maker practitioner perspective. It's really considering, and, and we talk about this in the paper, is that those embedded are sort of assumptions or the underlying philosophies behind tools that they're not just neutral things that you can pick up and apply. And, and they have impacts in what you do. Um, I, I think for me, that's almost one of the most important things that has come out of it. It's just um, this idea that you can just pick tools out from a toolbox and apply them how you want. Doesn't necessarily lead, always lead to the outcomes that you might be expecting. Um, and then, I mean, for me, for nudging, I think, whether or not you want to add this in, but once you see nudge, you see it's everywhere. And I think it's a really, it's just interesting. It's one of those things that if you think about when you go to the supermarket, 
and you walk in and the type of music that's been played and you go through the fresh fruit and vegetables. And this is all deliberate because you buy your fresh fruit and vegetables and then you get to the junk aisle and you feel really smug that you had fruit and vegetables. <laughs> so you buy some junk. And that's all, you know, this is all nudging and this is all deliberate and it's everywhere in all part of our lives. And what role we think it should be for supermarkets versus government and what government's doing. And, and I think that's really um, an interesting one to think about as well. Absolutely. Huge questions for us to go digest, but we've, um, I guess, got the, uh, the architecture to do that with your article and with this episode. <laughs> Thanks so much, Colette. Yeah, no problem. It's great talking.